Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. I was reading this week about a group of soldiers in the fourth century. There was a governor at that time in Armenia, part of where we would uh, know as Turkey today, and Governor Agricola, he faced a group of 40 of his soldiers who refused to make any sacrifices to the Roman emperor at that time. These Roman soldiers uh, were Christians, and they believed that if they offered a sacrifice to anything or anyone, that it was going against their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the governor tried to reason with them. He threatened them, and they remained steadfast in their faith in the gospel of Christ. And so the governor began to take drastic measures. He began to bring um, just harsh, cruel punishments against them. And then one night he decided these 40 soldiers would be stripped of their clothing and have to stand on a frozen lake all night long. And as these 40 soldiers, without any clothing, stood on this frozen lake in freezing temperatures, they gathered together in a circle and they encouraged one another and they prayed for one another and they continued to encourage one another to not turn uh, away from Christ. That next morning, as the sun came up, there was a soldier that was guarding to make sure that none of these men left the ice. And in the morning, after witnessing the faith of these men, he also declared his faith in Christ and stripped down and walked onto the ice and joined them for the name of Christ. This is the type of call that God has called you as a follower of Jesus too. It's a high calling to bring glory to his name, to lift the name of Jesus high. And Paul writes to the church in Philippi who is facing persecution because they too will not bend their knee to Caesar. And he tells them to fearlessly stand together for the gospel of Jesus. And this morning, it's the same charge for you and I who are followers of Christ and this is the scriptural truth that we see from the text this morning, that believers are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus by standing united in one spirit and one mind. Would you look with me at verses 27 through 30 of Philippians chapter 1. The apostle Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of God. The blessing that we have to read the words of God and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Let's look at this text and look closely here beginning with verse 27. And the call on the first point is standing firm for the faith. 
This is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Philippi then and what the Word of God is telling us as believers now. He says in verse 27, only, only this one thing and this only is the weight of what he's saying is your manner of life. He speaks of this word manner that this is describing your behavior, your life, and it's to be one who is, as a believer, a citizen uh, who lives in a manner worthy of the kingdom of God, the glory of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, only, this one thing only, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, there is no other higher calling in your life It's to glorify God, to stand for His name and the gospel of Christ, and then to die and be with Him forever. That's the calling that's been given to you who are followers of Christ. And I pray if you're not a follower of Christ, that today is the day of salvation for you. As a Christian, you are to daily, in everything you say, in everything you do, should make a statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life? Do the people around you that you work with, you go to school with, your neighbors, your family, do they see your life? Do they hear your words? And do they say, wow, that person stands fearlessly for the name of Jesus Christ? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be declared. It is to be spoken. It is to be preached. It is to be heralded. You need to open your mouth and tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they can be saved by faith alone in Him. But also, people watch you. You ever notice that? Go to an airport. Maybe you're waiting for the next plane, and it's interesting just watching the people coming off and getting on the planes, and what what are they carrying with them, and how are they dressed, and people watch other people. And if you don't know this, you have people that are watching you, especially if you've ever declared to them that you're a Christian. They're watching and listening to everything you say and do because they're ready to call you a hypocrite. They're ready to turn on you in a moment. And other believers are looking to see how you stand in the midst of persecution and in the midst of suffering. And if you do that well for the glory of God. And so the gospel is to be evident also in our life that your Christian conduct should reflect the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the truth of God's word. Those things should be reflected in your life when they see it. And we ask the question, well, where does that come from? How do we live that way? And if you're a follower of Christ, you already are a citizen of heaven. You are living in this world, but you're a citizen of heaven. So you're to live as you would in heaven in that sense. And if you look at chapter 3, we'll come to it soon. But in verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes, But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This week I was praying, Lord, would you come now? Return. We're waiting for you because this is a dark world. There's a lot of trouble and we want to be with you. But Paul says, remember, you're a citizen of heaven, not of this dark world. But then I wrote these questions because we have to bring it into reality with us. That sounds great, the Apostle Paul. Okay, I need to follow this, but really, what does it look like for me as a Christian to live a life or a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus? What does it truly look like? Or another thing I wrote down, is it even possible to do so? Because 
I know that even though I've been forgiven by Christ, His blood shed for me, First John tells me that I still battle with sin. And so how can I live a worthy life of the, worthy of the gospel of Christ? Sometimes for believers it may feel like it's impossible. Others may think, well, those Christians, those are the super saints. They don't ever struggle with these things. I wish I could live like they are. They sure live a life, a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Know this, on this side of heaven, there is no believer that's been perfected. It's what we long for. It's what we wait for. And the Holy Spirit is constantly working on us, sanctifying us. You, again, this picture, we're not there yet. And so as we live every single day, the Holy Spirit is working in your life and working in you, making you more and more mature to the glory of God. And then when we face Him and see Him face to face, just as the choir was singing, perfected, no more sin, glorified one day with a perfect body, all for the glory of God and to be with Him in eternal joy forever. The church in Philippi was not perfect. When we come to chapter 4, we'll see. The Apostle Paul is writing of a problem there among the believers. What? Churches have problems? Churches have sinners? Churches have people that do things that are wrong to one another? No way, right? No, the Apostle Paul says to them, hey, you have some people arguing, fighting, you need to get them uh, back together and they need unity there. And he'll, he writes of that, we'll see when we come to chapter 4. But the Apostle Paul was sure of this. We saw this two weeks ago in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He said, he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it. He'll finish it. God's promise is that as he's the one who saves, as he's the one who starts this process of salvation, he will also finish it to his glory. And we rejoice and take comfort in that. So Paul, as he wrote to a church that was flawed and struggled and sins just like us today, he called them to the gospel of Christ, and he says in the midst of this that unity is a big aspect and part of this. Look back at verse 27. Paul says, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you don't know, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. And he's like, I want to come and be with you. But if I'm not going to ever make it back to Philippi and see you, he's like, I'm confident in what God is doing. And I want to be able, even here in Rome, to hear of the work that you're doing, standing firm in the faith for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's like, you don't need me to be there physically. He says, I know I was there when the church started there. I know that I was there teaching you the truths of the gospel of Christ. But you don't need me because you have the Holy Spirit. Because I just hope and long for to hear that you're standing and striving for the gospel of Christ. And so he speaks of standing firm and striving together for the glory of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize if you call yourself a Christian in this room, you have the same goal and the same purpose in life as every Christian in this world. And that's to glorify God and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the day that you see Christ. We have the same goal. We have the same purpose. Churches are not in competition with one another. 
even though in this world that happens. Churches are not to come up with some other greater type of thing other than glorifying God and declaring the gospel. We do minister in numbers away within this city and Christians throughout the world, but your goal and your purpose is to glorify God. That's what you've been called to do. And Paul says it's done through standing firm and striving together. There's this picture of unity. We are to show one another the same grace that God has shown us. We're to show the same love and mercy to one another that God has shown us. That should be a testimony of the Holy Spirit working among the body of Christ. Verse 27, he says, standing firm in one spirit. He uses a military term here. It means to hold your ground. It actually means to not budge an inch. And again, he's there with Roman soldiers around him. And if you studied how Roman soldiers would fight, they would fight an enemy side by side. They had this formation called a, 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 a maniple. And they would stand side by side, feet to feet, with their shields and the way that they interlocked them. And these things are amazing, the way that they would fight and he says, standing firm in one spirit. One of the things that you can write down and read is Ephesians chapter 6. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says, you're in a battle, church. You're in a spiritual battle. And he begins to lay out spiritual armor that God has given us to protect us from the enemy. And he's given us a weapon, which is the word of God, the sword, to be able to stand our ground but one of the pieces of armor that's given is these shoes, the uh, readiness of the gospel. And when you look at a Roman soldier and what they used to wear, they would have these sandals and they would sometimes have spikes or nails driven through the sandals so they could dig into the ground and not move or budge an inch. And so imagine a, a host of soldiers lined up shoulder to shoulder, their feet stuck in the ground. They have their armor on, their shield, and their weapon. This is the picture that Paul is laying out for them. Stand firm. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And verse 27 is a reminder that as we engage in that ba battle, that that is what God has called us to do. We don't see some spiritual, physical type of thing right in front of us, but we're in a daily spiritual battle if we stand for the name of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to one of the disciples that he trained up, a young man named Timothy, and he sent in the two letters in 1 Timothy 6, he says this in verse 2, tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in the second letter to Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good what? Fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The Apostle Paul was writing Timothy about his life and the short time walking with Christ and following after him. He said, it's a fight. Therefore, standing firm in your faith is the call that is upon your heart if you are a follower of Christ. And we have to ask, though, where does the strength come from? It says, stand firm in one spirit. 
But it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. God Almighty, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells in your heart if you are a follower of Christ. Paul writes to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Speaking of what your life was like before Christ and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, as we were singing, has paid it all. He's shed His blood to purchase His people for Himself. He loves and values His church God the Father sees His church and He calls them His own because when you are forgiven of your sins, Christ's righteousness, He never sinned, is imputed to you. And so God the Father says, my son, my daughter, and adopts us into His kingdom. That's why you stand as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven today and be reminded you can't lose that. God doesn't fail in His word. And so when he says that he will not lose one of his own out of his hand, when Satan cannot steal them out of the Father's hand, that means believers will not fail at some point, will fail and, and not make it to heaven. No, what he began, he completes. Amen? I thought maybe there would be more excitement about that. The reason why is because we are in this world, right? And we have trouble all the time. And you sometimes, like me, can doubt for a minute. Like, oh man, am, am I saved? We cry out to God, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me again. But do not lose sight of God's words, Jesus' words in John chapter 10. The number of promises in Scripture that what God has set for you in heaven, it will not fade away. The moth won't tear it up. It will not rust. It will not fall apart. And God will see his people to the end, to his glory and his praise. And that's wonderful because imagine if it's left up, you, up to you to make it there. None of us would be there. If it was left to you to try to strive, and this is probably one of the greatest issues that Christians face, is that we think, yes, I believe God saved me. He, he did all the work, but I need to work hard so I can make it there. And so again, I've used this numbers of times. You pull out the, the flower, it's like, she loves me, she loves me a lot. It's like, we think of God that way. Oh, he loves me, I went to church. I gave a huge gift in the offering this week. He loves me not because I failed over here in this. He loves me because I went and did this and served in the mission field. And he loves me not because I wasn't obedient there. And we battle up and down. Know this, that if God starts it, he finishes it. It's his word. Hebrews tells us he doesn't lie, so he will fulfill it. And praise the Lord that we don't have to do the work to get us there. Now same time, did you see the words of Paul? We're to be at work. You're like, wait, what? That's the Holy Spirit working in us. We are, to have, we are to produce fruit. John chapter 15, abiding in him and he in us, that a Christian, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. So if you are a Christian, there is fruit in your life, and it's the Holy Spirit who produces that fruit in you, and it happens by abiding in Christ and in his word, and he abiding in us. Look at verse 27. It says, um, 
verse 20, 27, that you are standing firm in one spirit, and it says, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So first he uses this military term, you're fighting side by side, and then, I mean, uh, you're, you're standing firm, and then he says, standing side by side, this picture of a perfect, uh, coordinated team effort against an opposition. Now, if you think of the Olympics, if you think of uh, track and field events, the majority are individual events. And they have a podium. And the majority of the Olympic events you see, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, there are team events in the Olympics. But when I was reading this and thinking of this, I thought of different team sports. I so enjoyed playing football in high school. Football is a team sport. And I was thinking about everyone has to do their part if the team's going to succeed and win. On offense and in defense, even the coaches and the special teams. I was thinking through it this morning of just the fact of you're going to run an offensive play. I mean, you've got to have everyone be in their position on offense. You've got to have the center who's going to hike the ball at the right time according to what the quarterback is called. And the quarterback can't drop the ball. He has to make the right steps back if it's a running play to hand off to the running back. And the running back has to know which hole he's going to run into. And you're like, what hole? Well, the linemen are supposed to block. They're supposed to move the opposing team out of the way so that guy can run right through this hole towards the, uh, the, the finish line to make a touchdown. And while he's running, you can't stop there. Every one of those receivers better be blocking correctly down, uh, down, the, down the way. And so when you score a touchdown, it's a celebration for the whole team. Just like if you talked about defense and what they have to do to stop. And you think about this. This is the picture of the church. He doesn't say, you individual Christians stand and strive this way. It's a picture of the unity of the body of Christ at Discovery Alliance Church. The other believers here in the city of Missoula. Believers throughout the state and the country across the world. This is written to the church universal. That we are to stand together. We are to strive together, firm in our faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, again, when you come to it, the Apostle Paul starts naming some believers in the church in Philippi. He, said, he writes about Euodia and Syntyche and Clement and others who labored with him in the gospel of Christ. And then he also says, these two women are fighting in the church. And he calls out to the believers that they would come and encourage and strengthen and to maybe even call them on the carpet for sin and to help bring unity there. One of the things also as I was reading about the Roman armies, their legions and the way that they would practice and prepare, they were all about discipline and training as a military, as an army. And as Paul writes and uses these terms, Believers and churches are to also have discipline and to practice. And he's like, what do you mean by discipline and practice? Because as an athlete who practices and disciplines day and night, that's the description of how you are to live as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, you are to train in a sense and discipline yourself to be in God's word day and night 
to pray and to encourage other believers, to serve one another, to support one another. That's this picture that you and I as the body of Christ are to do. Uh, this uh, last couple of months, our family went to uh, a number of track and field uh, high school uh, track meets. And it had been years and years, well, it's like 30 years, 30 years ago I graduated from high school. And I remember running some track meets, and at first I thought, these are long, all-day track meets. We're only here to watch a few of them, but i got to sit through all these. And it's still exciting to watch them and watch uh, people do the events. But, I, but you, you, you watch these people, and one of the most exciting things to watch in these track meets over the last couple of months was the long-distance races. You're like, long distance? No, I want to watch the 100, 200. I want to watch the hurdles so people can fall on their face. I want to watch these things here. You know, we need some activity. I want to see them throw the javelin and all this stuff. But here's the thing. I was so interested in those long distance because of this. You see individuals running. But what's fascinating was the inside football field. Because you would have teammates and coaches, when they would start the mile or the two mile, you would see the teammates move across the field. And you would see this because what would happen is their, te- their teammate would be running and the coach and the players would run all the way to the far side of the field and they're just cheering on the person running, coaches giving them tips. And then as soon as they got out of the way, they turn and all run across the field. It actually is kind of funny just watching them... <laughs> And they would do this. There was one team I was watching, and the coach ran across the field, and she ran all the way down to the far corner, and she's, lit, she's got bag and all this stuff and clipper, and she's just screaming and running as the other player is just yelling and screaming. I'm like, are you going to outrun the person? She was so excited. And I was thought about these events, that how even though they're individual, they were so excited and cheering on their team. Even the people who were like the last people, it's like, you're waiting, okay, everyone's finishing, you got first, second, third, and then you're like, oh man, that person got lapped. You're like, waiting. But their team keeps cheering them on. I mean, even to the point that you see like the last person on the two-mile race, and then the crowd starts cheering for them. This is this picture of how you and I are to live in this world as believers. We are to come along side by side, as Paul writes. It's also this picture, this term, this wrestling together for the faith of the gospel. And so if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to strive side by side with your brothers and sisters in Christ for the glory of God. And if that's true, some of us may just need to go before the Lord and confess our sins before him because we have something against a brother or sister in Christ. We may need to find that brother or sister in Christ and call them. They may not even know that you've had harboring anything in their heart against them and go and make that right with them. I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you of that if that is something that's a part of your life right now. But before we look at verse 28, I want to make sure we're clear on one thing. When it talks about striving for the faith of the gospel, I think I try to remind you of this every single week. The question is, what is the gospel? And again, we are getting better at it, church. But I know that over the years, I would ask people in churches, Christians, and say, what is the gospel? And they'd say, it's the Bible. The gospel is not the Bible. I'd say, well, let's try again. What is it? Like, oh, the gospel's Jesus. You're getting close. It's all about Jesus. But what is the gospel? And the Apostle Paul writes this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 to the church there, and he says, this is the gospel, 
You've been saved by it and you stand in it. It is Jesus Christ crucified for your sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and on the third day rose from death to life according to the scriptures. And all who believe in him, faith in Christ alone, are saved by his work. And all the glory to him. That's what God has called you to declare to the world. That is what God has called you, if you've been saved by the gospel of Christ, to stand for in the face of the enemies that we have as the body of Christ. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Let us never be ashamed of the name of Christ in the second to last book of the Bible in Jude, there's only one chapter. It's verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that means we have to do battle. And we may not want to. It means that we have to stand for the gospel of Jesus and never compromise. It calls that we would never step down, away from, re hide from the name of Christ when we face persecution in this world. When we face suffering because of the name of Christ, we are to never Stray away from him. And the way that we do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, Paul not only calls for the standing and striving for the faith of the gospel, but being courageous in the face of opposition. The second point is being courageous in the face of opposition. This is part of living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus the question, though, you may go is, well, what, is, what would I be fearful of as a Christian? What, what are Christians afraid of? And what a true fear for Christians can and is, is being persecuted severely for the name of Christ. The fear of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And the way that you suffer under persecution and the way that you suffer uh, in this world for the name of Christ is a powerful testimony to your faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Verse 28, it says, not frightened. The word means terrified, but it's the type of descriptive word that if you've ever seen a horse spooked by something, maybe it sees a snake or there's something, it thought it saw a snake and that horse goes crazy. This is the original word that's used to describe it. And you can't calm a horse down like that sometimes. This is what Paul says, don't be terrified like that. So it tells me that we can be terrified if he's warning us of that. He says, don't be terrified in anything by your what in verse 28. What's it say there in verse 28? Look at the scripture there. It says, and not be frightened in anything by what? By your opponents, by your enemy, by those who would come against you. Remind you again, there is a very real enemy that if you're a believer, hates you and wants to kill you. His name is Satan and all the demons. 
And at the same time, Satan is not God, so he's not everywhere. Satan's not on your back all the time. There are demons. There are fallen angels under his commands and leading that do the same bidding. They want you and I dead. They want you to not stand for the name of Christ. They want you to falter so that the rest of the world sees and says, look at those hypocrites. Look at those people. That's what the enemy wants. And Paul says, you are not to be frightened or terrified by the enemy. So we're to courageously stand firm in the faith when facing any persecution. Or how about when society pressures us to change? Christianity constantly, daily, minute by minute, faces criticism and skepticism all the time. The Word of God is constantly attacked. The truths of God's Word that we hide in our heart, that we read, that we practice and we spend our time in is constantly being drawn to question from your classrooms to your workplaces to the movies on the screen to the TV shows that you invest your time in. The world are critics and skeptics of the truth of God. Public opinion sure sways a lot of people. Public opinion on things like sex and abortion or just sin in general attack the truths of God's word. And the hard part is even inside the church, which Paul warns of repeatedly to the churches, churches allow and, and have been allowing culture that challenges biblical truths to take a precedence in the body of Christ. Everything that society and culture teaches us about homosexuality, gender identity, abortion, marriage, divorce, on and on and on, have and do and will create divisions in the church as long as the church allows culture to dictate how we should function. And it should be something that grieves our hearts. Even our own denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, in two weeks will vote, pressured by culture, to make a change in our 136-year history that we have never swayed from. That's why I ask you to pray. That's why I ask you to come tonight at 5 o'clock as we look at that. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but if you're a member of Discovery, I pray that you have no excuse to miss tonight, but to be here with the elders tonight and as we pray, because we cannot waver in the Word of God. We cannot turn because culture thinks we need this, this, and this. We must hold what does the clear Word of God say that we would hold to. And I ask you to pray for our church and for our denomination we must be the people of God who are courageous and resilient by testifying to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Remember last week we saw in the text, To live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. We are to fear God more than man. What's the worst that man can do to you? Kill you. 
Jesus warns of the one who is God, that we are to fear. And so Romans 8 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have you ever had that fear? You're, you're all excited to share the gospel with someone, to tell them of the truths and the things that God has been doing. You're like, all right, today is the day. I'm going to talk to them during the lunch break. And then you see them coming down the hallway. And you're like, hey, how's it going? And you like turn and walk away. You're shaking in your boots. You're like sweating. Your heart's been racing. You're like, oh, I missed it again. I was going to do that today. There's times that we fail in standing for the name of Christ. I think sometimes because we put it all on us, and if we put it on us, you're never going to succeed in that. It's praying, Holy Spirit, give me the ability to open my mouth and give me the words to say in love that I would show them Christ crucified, risen again, and they could be saved by him Verse 28 says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. What does he mean here? He speaks of a sign of destruction. That when a Christian suffers persecution, it's a warning to all who are non-Christians that as the uh, enemy brings an opposition, that enemy will be destroyed and put down by Christ. And all who die in their sins and Satan and the demons who come against Christ will be put down and cast into hell forever. And so as you suffer well for the name of Christ, it's a warning sign to their destruction, but a sign of salvation. Again, it's hard to say don't be afraid of persecution. But yet as Paul says that, he says it because it's a real challenge for the believer Second Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's like, it's going to happen. It will be. And you're like, are you sure? Did Jesus really say that? It's like, yeah, let's go back to the Gospels. He told the believers, he told the disciples, you will be persecuted for my name. As I look in this room, you may not lose your life for standing for the name of Christ. But you may be persecuted in all kinds of other ways. We're not to fear. The last two verses speak of suffering for the sake of Christ. In verse 29 and 30, it says, For it has been granted to you, it's been given to you, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have it says in in Ephesians chapter 2 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him that and what we just read in 29 and 30, salvation is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. You don't have to do a work to be saved. Amen? I was waiting for it again. I'm like, all right, I'm going long. Wake up, church. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, that's God's words, not mine. Salvation is a gift from God. Every one of us 
must understand this. You cannot and you have not done anything to deserve or gain your salvation. It's a gift. And then with that gift, also you see Paul saying it's been granted to you and given to you that you would suffer for the name of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, we will see. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Persecution is a gift to the believer for the name of Christ because when you do suffer, you're able to identify for the one who suffered for you. That as you suffer for the name of Christ you can understand Christ's suffering where he died in your place for your sins. Acts chapter 5 is one place where you can read where the disciples, when they left the council, after they were um, persecuted, uh, after they were beaten, it says they, were left, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. May the Lord do that in our lives as we suffer for the name of Christ, that we would be counted worthy to suffer for Christ as he suffered for us. James 1 verses 2 through 9 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Know that your suffering is for a short time. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Know that you will be blessed for living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and suffering persecution for his name. May the Lord do that in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray and ask that you would help the believers in this room to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Would you help us as your church to be able to stand and strive together and fight like a soldier against the enemy, to compete like an athlete so that the gospel is advanced in a dark world. Would you help us to live life together, to be in unity and love in the Holy Spirit, to strive together, to stand together, firm in our faith. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would build up the believers, that we would be able to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Father, I pray for any in this room who are far from you this morning and have heard the gospel, the hope in Christ and forgiveness of sins preached this morning, I pray that this moment today is the day of salvation. I pray that they would call out to you and say, Lord, save me, I am a sinner. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd open their eyes and you'd do a work in their heart and change them and take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and do that saving work for your glory. 
May you receive the praise from our lips, and may we stand for your name, Jesus. Amen.